Hey, good morning, New Life Downtown. It's good to see those of you who braved the snow today and you made it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know some of you are like, just did not feel safe and chose to stay at home today. Uh, you're watching online. We want to say hello to you. We love you. We miss you. We hope that you are doing well. And our prayer for you is that Jesus would meet with you right where you are today, wherever you are watching from, just like our prayer is today that he'll meet us here uh, in the room together, that as we worship and as we pray and as we open the scriptures, that we would sense the very presence of God. If you're visiting with us today, maybe this is your first time or second time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Jason. I serve as the lead pastor here for New Life Downtown. We'd love to get a chance to, thank you, we'd love to get a chance to meet you. If you could scan this QR code and fill out a guest card for us or stop by the welcome area after the service, we'd love to give you a gift and hear your story and answer any questions for you today as uh, we gather together in worship. But as a moment, as we gather today, I also want to invite you to uh, New Life Next. If you um, are kind of newer to the community, maybe been coming for a while, about once a quarter, we have a lunch after service. Uh, for anybody who's new, just to tell you a little bit more about life in New Life downtown and uh, get a chance to meet other new people and ask any questions you have, that's going to be in two weeks on November 12th uh, will be our next New Life Next. But as we come into worship, we want to center ourselves, and we're going to center ourselves today by praying the Lord's Prayer together. So the words are going to come up on the screen since we learned six different versions of the prayer. This will help us to pray together this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together this morning. We've come to lift up our maker and our healer who holds us all together. Oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Bless your name. Come let us worship our King. Come let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. We'll see how his love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You freed every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We
out together now. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken the light. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh, God, you have done together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I count on one thing. The same God who never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me. same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I Fail me now in the waiting. The same God is there. 
Let's make the decision this morning. Through it all, we choose to praise. Let's sing. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. That nothing can stand against. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Trust that in you. You are you, our strong God. That nothing you, that comes against you can stand. Thank you that you're bigger than our fears, you're bigger than our failures, you're bigger than whatever happened this week that got us down, you're bigger than what's going to happen this next week that's going to get us down, Lord. Um, we just thank you that we can put all our trust in you.
take a moment just to be still before the mighty one. Pray this together. This ground is holy, but we are trembling. You are here with us now. You are here with us now. We hear it moving, the wind of your presence. And you are sending us out. You are sending us out.
breath of God. Breathe on us. Spirit of God, fall on us today. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us. Mold us. Fill us. Use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. We love you, Spirit of God. In the Gospel of John, his account of the coming of the Spirit is that Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So maybe this morning what you need is just some breath in your lungs. Jesus to breathe life back into you by the Spirit. Would you take just a moment and take a deep breath and just ask Jesus, would you fill my lungs again? Would you fill my breath again? Would you fill my body again with your life, with your spirit, with your strength, with your power? Breathe in the very presence of God. We are dependent upon you for every breath that we take. Spirit of the living God, breathe on us again today. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated, New Life Downtown. It's good to see you. Thank you for braving the roads, making it down here today. I just, that song that we were just singing talks about really those two pictures of God's spirit falling. One is Jesus breathing on his disciples. The other one is the disciples being gathered together in the upper room after Jesus had ascended into heaven. The spirit of God descending upon them, coming and falling upon them. One of the beautiful parts about the spirit is that the spirit comes to empower us for mission. That when Jesus is talking about the spirit, he says, wait there for the spirit because the spirit will come and will make, will come in power and make you my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria until the very ends of the earth. The Spirit empowers us to be witnesses to the gospel all around the world. I love how New Life Downtown, how we embody the witness of Jesus here in our city and the ways in which we embody the witness of Jesus around the globe. So many of you spend your lives working in missions organizations or as missionaries, those of you watching online. Some of you are watching online because you've been sent to the nations already. And one of the things we're constantly working on here at downtown is our global strategy. How do we, as a congregation, take our collective heart for the nations and push that out into the world through our life together? And there's four things that we are basically doing that we're building off of. One is we pray for the nations. Two, we support missionaries. Three, we send short-term teams. And four, we sponsor kids. We find ways to do those four things, and we're kind of building from there. And I want to talk to you about those last two today, our short-term engagement trips and our child sponsorship opportunities, because both of them are relaunching again today. Next year in 2024, 
We are sending out three short-term engagement trips. You have an opportunity to take one of three trips next year. The dates and times are going to come up. We're going backwards in order from later in the year. Uh, one of our hearts behind Global Outreach is we want to find local partners and come alongside them and strengthen what it is that they are doing. So we're working with the local partners in Guatemala at Casa Angelina. We sent a team there last October. You got to hear from Adam Pelser last year about this time, uh, about this trip. So we're sending another trip back in October of next year to go and work at Casa Angelina. We're sending our first team to Spain. Many of you remember Matt and Janelle Heiser, who we just prayed out of here, sent them out to Spain just a few months ago. Uh, we're sending a team next summer over uh, the 4th of July sort of time period to help with an English camp that they are doing there. And we're sending another team back to Dar, where we just sent a team this summer, June 4th through the 11th. So we've got three teams going out. Applications are open. Pastor Matt from our global outreach team uh, that helps serve all of our congregations is here today. Pastor Matt, can you raise your hand? Where are you at? You were sitting back there. He may have snuck out to go uh, take care of some things somewhere. There's someone with their hand raised out in the lobby. Uh, but Matt will be out there. If you have any questions about the trip, I encourage you to sign up as soon as possible so we can start gathering teams together and going through all of our support raising to send those teams out. Uh, one of the things that we do in combination to this is sponsor kids at that last location. So we have a child sponsorship program that's a partnership between DAR in Guatemala, which is a school uh, in, a, uh, in a neighborhood there in Guatemala. So we have a partnership between them, New Life, and One Child, which is a local child sponsorship organization. There's a ton of great ones here in the city. One Child happens to be our partner uh, for working at DAR. So if you sponsor a kid with DAR, you may get a chance to go on the trip and actually meet your sponsored kid. So last summer, Cora and I uh, went to DAR and we got a chance to meet uh, our sponsored kid uh, there. So this is Vernice and we got a chance to go and spend some time with her. Uh, we began sponsoring her just a little over a year ago and then got a chance to spend some time uh, in her world, going to her school, meeting her and having that opportunity uh, to spend time with her. So uh, there's a way to, to sponsor kids today and I want to have uh, Erica come on up. Erica is a fellow New Life downtowner. Her and Sam just got married how long ago? Five months ago, Sam, you want to raise your hand there, buddy? So newlyweds right here. Uh, Erica has been working with one child for a few years. And she wants to tell you just how this child sponsorship works. Because uh, many of you have maybe been to an event or a concert at some point and walked out into a lobby and saw pictures of kids and you know, kind of went and grabbed a packet and went home. Uh, this is all kind of through uh, a smartphone app. So she was going to give you some quick instructions on what that looks like. But then they'll be out in the lobby afterwards as well. Erica. Great. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Good morning, New Life Downtown. It is good morning. Good morning. It's awesome to be with you this morning. And honestly, see my worlds converge a little bit. <laughs> it's super cool. Um, so like Pastor Jason said, my husband and I have been at New Life almost a year now this month. So it's uh, an awesome opportunity to be here today on behalf of one child, but also as a member of one of you. Uh, so today I'm going to explain a little bit about Bridgely, which is the application that we use um, to host sponsorship and really elevate the sponsorship experience. Um, and so we're so excited to partner with you all with that today. And so there's going to be a few steps I'm going to explain here. And if you have any questions about the steps, um, there's going to be some QR codes and all that different stuff. Please come see my, me 
and my team out in the lobby after service. Um, we'll be excited to, to talk with you, answer any questions you have. So I'll just go quickly through these slides. The first slide here has a QR code. QR codes are familiar to us here, I think, at New Life Downtown. Um, and this QR code will, if you scan it, it will take you to your app store and will help you to download Bridgely. So that's BridgeLY. Um, and if you scan that QR code, you can download the app. Um, if you've already done that, that is great. Um, it looks like that in the app store. Um, and so if you go to the next slide here, there is a different QR code that you can scan that will take you straight to the New Life Downtown and DAR cause community. And we want to invite you to do that this morning is to join this cause community um, as this is the place where you can connect with people from DAR, um, have community regarding your partnership with them, and then also sponsor kids, um, which we're so excited about this opportunity this morning. Um, so once you have scanned this QR code, we will have um, cards out in the lobby that contain these QR codes. So if you don't get it quite now, we do have other opportunities for you. They're on the tables and stuff out there. Um, you will have the opportunity to join uh, your cause community. So you'll see a little join for free button. Um, you'll click that button and that will take you to this join for free screen. Please select an email that you have on your phone because it will send you an email um, on your device that gives you a unique pin. Um, in this pin, you'll copy and paste and put it back into the, the Bridgely application and that will verify your account and you will have successfully joined your cause community. Um, so if you don't get that email, please come see us again out in the lobby. Um, you're also, feel free to check your junk mail because sometimes it does go there. So um, once you've joined your cause community, you'll be taken back to the DAR cause community. You can go to the next slide here. Um, and that will allow you to go through uh, the different children that are available for sponsorship today, which we're really excited about that opportunity. In fact, you'll be able to watch little videos about your child that explain, they may share a little bit about who they are, what their favorite color is, all that different stuff. So feel free to click through the profiles. And as soon as you are ready to sponsor, click that yellow sponsor button, and that will take you to the next screen here to fill out your payment information. Now, there's a few steps and along this process. Um, so again, if you have any questions at all, myself and a few of my team members will be out in the lobby. And we're just so excited to be a part of this already thriving relationship that I know that New Life Downtown has with DAR. Um, so thank you again for the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much, Erica. And thank you, One Child team. Thank you, Global Outreach team. So pray about it today. Sign up for a trip, sign up to sponsor a kid, or those codes will be available even afterwards if you want to take some information home, take a QR code, code home, and just you know, talk to others about it and pray. It's an opportunity to get involved in God's heart for the nations. Now we're going to take a moment and begin to turn our attention toward uh, the opportunities to give and to hear from the scriptures. If you'd like uh, to give toward what God is doing in and through New Life downtown, there's four ways to give online or via the app in the boxes in the lobby or uh, uh, you can mail it in. If you're giving online or the app, please make sure you select New Life Downtown as your congregation of choice. And now we're going to still our hearts to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed to us today. It is another Student Serve Sunday. So students are serving all over in different areas, including a couple of uh, our middle school and high school students reading scripture to us today. So let's prepare our hearts to hear the word of God today. Hello, my name is Allison. 
The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings 17, 1-5. Elijah from Tishbe, who was one of the settlers in Gilead, said to Ahab, As surely as the Lord lives, Israel's God, the one I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain these years unless I say so. Then the Lord's word came to Elijah, Go from here and turn east, hide by the Kareth brook that faces the Jordan River. You can drink from the brook. I have also ordered the ravens to provide for you there. Elijah went and did just what the Lord said. He stayed by the Kareth brook that faced the Jordan River. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Mary. The New Testament reading is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way, you will have everything you need, always and in everything, to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. As it is written, he scattered everywhere. He gave to the needy. His righteousness remains forever. The one who supplies seed for planting and bread for eating will supply and multiply your seed and will increase your crop, which is righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Fuchsia. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 12, 22 through 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. This is, there is more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than birds. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing for just a moment. Before we pray, uh, I want to acknowledge someone uh, here in our midst. For the last several years uh, now, there's been someone behind the scenes uh, putting together all of these slides, running them on Sunday, running the live stream, all those things. Billy Hanson, will you stand up back there? If everyone wants to turn to Billy. Billy, Billy's been working with New Life Downtown, faithfully coming really early every morning, staying every late on, on Sundays, and he just got offered a full-time position. This is a part-time position here with us. He got a full-time position uh, with North Production Team, so this is his last Sunday with us. But Billy, we want to say that we love you. We thank you. We're so grateful uh, for all your service to us over these years, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we um, come before you, before your word, and ask that you would feed our souls today, that you would nourish us uh, by your very words, by your very presence, by um, your communion, by your table, that we would find everything that we need for life and for godliness in you. Would you meet us today, we pray. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Well, good to see you. You may be seated. Once again, welcome. If you're new or newer, my name's Jason. Thank you for being here. Uh, if this is your normal place of worship, if you consider yourself a part of New Life Downtown, please take it upon yourself to welcome anyone that you don't know, to uh, reach out to those after the service, to introduce yourself, to help them get connected in any way they can to the service. And once again, those of you who are watching online uh, and home today in your uh, flannel PJs and watching online, staying warm. We love you. We miss you. Hope that you are doing well. We're going to dive right in today, this in the middle of our fall series called Kings and Kingdoms, where we're studying First Kings together. And we're kind of nearing the end of the book. We're going to spend a few more weeks here, the last few weeks, focused on the northern kingdom of Israel, and particularly their king Ahab and the prophet Elijah. The northern kingdom of Israel was founded by Jeroboam I. Too. Pastor Evan talked with us about a few weeks ago when Jeroboam the first started the northern kingdom, sort of broke off from the southern kingdom of Judah. We had the divided, the united monarchy became the divided monarchy. The first thing that Jeroboam did was he introduced idolatry into the sort of the lifeblood of the nation. And what's said is that he made golden calves, two of them, Allah Aaron did in the wilderness. He set them up in his two worship centers in Dan and in Bethel on either side of the country. But the interesting thing is, why a calf? Why out of all of the things is you're sort of wondering like, oh, we're going to start worshiping other gods or blending worship ideas here a little bit. Why a calf? Well, in the ancient Near East where Israel finds its home, all of the other nations are polytheists. They believe in multiple gods. And all of those gods are organized into a pantheon, sort of a hierarchy of, of lesser and greater, stronger and weaker gods. The highest ranks in the pantheon are reserved for the gods who govern the most powerful natural forces, things like the sun and the rain. Those are the gods that are given the most honor or the most power. And in Canaan, the land where Israel find itself, all of these religions are what uh, sociologists and others call fertility cults. They're ways of kind of thinking about gods that are really related to agriculture. They sought the gods to fertilize the land with rain. And so the relationships between gods with one another and gods with the land are oftentimes sexualized. And then they have these images that then accompany them as a way of sort of depicting what their role is in the way that people think about their gods. So in Canaan, the highest god is a god named Ale, who is depicted by a bull. And then underneath him, there's another god called Baal or Baal, and he is considered the rain or the storm god. This is a, a really important god that becomes very popular, actually ends up superseding and taking over for Ale later on. And this is a picture of Baal. You can kind of see a little bit here. Um, every time I look at this picture, I can't help but think about Loki from the Avengers. Um, it's like, this is who this guy looks like. But here you see a picture, an icon of this god, and in the one hand, he's got a thunder stick, and then in the other hand, he's got a lightning bolt, and then you'll see these two horns coming out of his head. 
as a way of symbolizing this is the rain god who's often depicted as a calf. So beginning with Jeroboam, Israel is blending already the worship of the one true God, Yahweh, and the worship of the local Canaanite gods, particularly the god Baal. And beginning with Jeroboam, this is already happening, this kind of syncretism working its way into the life of the people. But then last week we were introduced to a king named Ahab who marries a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel is from the land of Phoenicia, the city of Sidon, and her father and her people worship this God. They are Baal worshipers. This is their God. And so what happens when they get married is that the worship of Baal in Israel becomes more explicit. We find in 1 Kings 16, 32, it says this, that Ahab made an altar for this God in the temple he had constructed in Samaria. So he begins to authorize, to sort of fund the worship of Baal in the northern kingdom, building a temple and setting up an altar. This is sort of where we ended in the story last week. And just a few verses after this, we find the abrupt arrival of the prophets Elisha. With little introduction and without invitation, Elijah the prophet bursts onto the scene in the midst of the idolatry and the worship of other gods in the northern kingdom. All that we know about this prophet is his name. His name, Elijah, means Yahweh is my God or my God is Yahweh. And he comes from this unknown town and shows up on the scene and immediately confronts the king and his new God, who's supposed to be the rainmaker. And 1 Kings 17, this is our introduction, verse 1. Elijah from Tishbe, who was one of the settlers in Gilead, said to Ahab, As surely as the Lord lives, Israel's God, the one that I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain these years unless I say so. And what happens with this one statement, it kicks off this epic series of showdowns between Ahab and Jezebel and the royal court and the people of Israel and Baal and all of his prophets and Elijah and Yahweh. This epic series of confrontations where every time I read it, it's like Jock Jams Volume 1 just starts playing in my head. And I hear that phrase, let's get ready to rumble. And like, the, 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 like all of these stories are these epic sort of showdowns and confrontations. And it begins with Elijah proclaiming a drought. Proclaiming that the rain god will send no rain. Now, this may seem like, oh, okay, well, what, what's the big deal about this? But in a world where every family or nearly every family relies on subsistence farming, a drought is a severe crisis. Anytime we find drought in the scriptures, it's a severe situation. It goes well beyond burn bans and water usage limits. Something that we're like, oh, yeah, it's a drought. You can only water my yard three days a week this time. You know, not that. This is crisis, and it's a bold and risky move for Elijah to go to the king. This, this pronouncement threatens his own life on two fronts. Number one, it sets him in opposition to royal power. He immediately kind of shows up on the scene and sets himself in opposition to Ahab and to Jezebel and all of the power of their kingdom. And number two, he lives there too. 
This is the land that he lives in. He just cursed the land that he lives on, which brings up immediately in this one verse this palpable tension in the narrative. By proclaiming this one thing and setting himself against the king and setting himself maybe in a really difficult situation where he lives, the questions come up for us immediately. Will God protect Elijah? As he steps out in opposition to the king, will God protect him? And will God provide for him? And if so, how? And if we're honest, these are the questions that we ask so often in our own lives. Will God protect me? Will God protect those that I love? Will God provide for me? Will God provide for those that I love? Will he do so? And if so, how? These are the questions that we're often asking, but we usually ask them in quiet because if we say them out loud with others, we're afraid of rejection. And if we speak them out loud to God, we're afraid in some ways of reprisal. But we find throughout the scriptures that there is, it's safe to admit these things to others, to say we're facing these sort of moments and it's safe to acknowledge them to an all-knowing, all-loving God because our life is filled with these kind of moments where we find ourselves in, in tension or in transition where we wonder and we question, God, if I follow you here, if, God, if I do this thing, if I go where I sense you leading me, will you protect me? Will you provide for me? I can think of so many moments in Sarah's in my life where that seemed to be just the question that was nagging underneath everything. All of the practical questions about where are we gonna live and how are we gonna get there as we were thinking about moving to seminary and leaving a job and, and going to school with no income and one car and going, how is this going to work? And trying to figure these things out and underneath of it was the question for me, God, are you gonna provide for us? And if so, how? Even this summer as we walk through everything with Cora and spending all those days in the hospital with her, that nagging question underneath the surface, God, are you gonna protect us? Are you gonna protect our daughter? How are you gonna provide for us in the middle of these moments? And we find as the story continues that God begins to answer these questions to us for Elijah. Verse two says this, then the Lord's word came to Elijah and said, go from here and turn to the east and hide in the Kareth brook that faces the Jordan River. There you can drink from the brook. I have also ordered the ravens to provide for you there. And Elijah went and did just as the Lord said, and he stayed in the Kareth brook that faced the Jordan River. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the mornings and the evening and he drank from the brook. Immediately, Yahweh sends Elijah off the grid, away from Samaria, away from Ahab, away from the eye of Sauron, and hides him in this sort of brook where no one can see him. The seasonal riverbed where the water is still flowing from the rains that have come, and he's able to drink there. And then it says, ravens will bring him meat and bread. And can we just stop there for a moment? I have read this story so many times, and every time I read it, I still go, what? <laughs> Ravens will bring him bread and meat. I've seen penguin waiters before, you know, on Mary Poppins in that moment where the penguins are running around, but ravens? Like, my only context for ravens is roadkill and Edgar Allan Poe. Neither one of those things are, like, enjoyable images for me. But in the scriptures... The, the raven's ability to find food is evidence of God's care for them. 
We find this in Jesus' teaching in Luke, the gospel reading. Look at the ravens. Look how God feeds them. So Elijah here is looking to the ravens that God will feed him through them. And it's still just a strange picture. I understand where the ravens get meat, but how do they get bread? Like, like, do they take it from a bakery and like bring it out to him from there? And how exactly do they feed him? It is hard for me not to imagine this story and to think of Elijah doing this. Okay, I just, that's the picture in my mind. I've never been able to get it out, and now you won't either. Um, so I'm sorry that I just did that to you this morning. Uh, but the m- most important part of the passage is the note that says this. He went and did just what the Lord said. We can get really easy caught up in like the bread and ravens and meat sort of place. But the emphasis of the passage is on Elijah's complete and, ob- and immediate obedience. That here in this moment, Elijah willingly walks into the wilderness. He willingly walks into the wilds. And there, he encounters the protection and the provision of God. He willingly walks into the wild, trusting that God's power and God's presence will be with him in the wilderness, that they will be waiting for him outside of all the normal ways in which he has gathered food and water his whole life. Away from all of his favorite restaurants, there is no Costco there, and he's got to trust fully on God to provide for them. This is a vulnerable and risky and adventurous life of trust. This is what the life of faith is, a risky and adventurous life of trust where we declare our total dependence upon God. As I was reading this passage, I kept thinking of that old hymn, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Trust is at the crux of obedience. Trust sits right at the center of the conversation. Not clarity, not comfort, not control, not all the things that I like. I would like clarity. I would like comfort. I would like to have some control. And instead, what I encounter from Jesus over and over again is an invitation to trust. Do we trust God enough to walk with him into the wilderness? Brennan Manning put it this way in his book, Ruthless Trust, and it's always been such a challenge to me. He says, the way of trust is a movement into obscurity, a movement into the undefined, a movement into ambiguity, not into some predetermined, clearly delineated plan for the future. The next step discloses discloses itself only out of a discernment of God acting in the desert of the present moment. The discernment of God showing up right here, right now, in the desert of the present moment. The reality of naked trust is the life of the pilgrim who leaves what is nailed down, obvious and secure, and walks into the unknown without any rational explanation to justify the decision or guarantee the future Why in the world would anyone live like that? Because God has signaled the movement and offered it his presence and his promise and his power. Has God signaled the movement for you recently? 
Have you heard his voice or sensed his spirit leading you in some way, inviting you to take a step out, inviting you into a new way of obedience? Have you sensed his spirits? And I'm not necessarily talking about a massive life change. Sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes the invitation for God is into something that is a complete transition from everything that we're doing. But most of the life of faith is about small steps of radical obedience in the midst of the ordinary. That's where most of the life of faith happens. It's saying yes to God's holy nudging in our everyday lives. Is God inviting you to start something, to, to, to initiate something, inviting you into a place where maybe it's reaching out to a neighbor, maybe it's reaching out to a coworker, maybe it's an invitation to start to pray. Maybe it's a slight nudge in a direction. Would you begin to do this? Maybe he's inviting you to just stop doing something. Would you stop? Would you put that away for a while? Would you stop watching as much Netflix and spend a little bit more time over here doing this thing. Maybe he's inviting you to seek him in a new way. Maybe he's inviting you to serve someone or in a different area. Maybe he's calling you to sacrifice. Sometimes the most radical step of obedience is to stay in a place that's hard because that wilderness is where Jesus is and he has you there for a reason. Sometimes that's what radical trust looks like in those moments. But underneath every single one of those holy nudgings is the question of trust. Do we trust Jesus? Is Jesus trustworthy? Do we believe that he is able to protect us and to provide for us wherever he leads us? Do we expect that his power and his presence will go with us into the wilderness. I want to encourage you today, if you find yourself in that moment where the Spirit has signaled a movement for you, I encourage you to take some time to discern it. Fast, pray, seek wise counsel, spend time with Jesus, get to know him and let that trust in him grow that you might be able to follow. Because trust is something that's cultivated in relationship and risked in obedience. Trust is the crux of obedience, but it's, it's cultivated in relationship before it's ever risked in obedience. Trust is not something we just will. Just like, I've decided today that I'm trusting. No, the more time we spend with Jesus and taste and see that he's good, then the more the trust in us grows so that we can risk following him in obedience to the thing that he is leading us into. Of course, the common objection of this text and reading this text as a model for faith is Elijah himself. Of course God's going to care for Elijah, right? It's Elijah. He's the man of God. He's a prophet. He's one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. This is like Abraham and Moses and David. These are our flannel graph heroes from Sunday school. Like, of course God's going to take care of him, but I'm not Elijah. That's not my story. We can read the story of Elijah and begin to recite a litany of differences between his life and ours and go, yeah, that's just not me. Though James says at one point in the New Testament, he was a person just like us, which is a good and helpful reminder. It's sometimes just hard to read a passage like this and say, well, but I'm not Elijah, so how does this relate to me? Which is why I love the next two stories so much, because the next two stories about an unnamed foreign widow and her son. The next two stories about a woman who knows loss. 
who knows what it's like to feel powerless in society and yet carry the enormous weight of responsibility of trying to care for her son in the midst of all that's going on. This is a woman who's an outsider to faith who didn't grow up in church. She's from Zarephath near Sidon. She's from Jezebel's town. She's a Baal worshiper. And Baal has failed her. She's facing death due to starvation, due to lack, due to drought. Perhaps we can relate more readily to her than we can to Elijah. We can look at her story and like, that's been more of my life. My life has been marked more by those kinds of things. And when the wadi runs dry for Elijah, God sends him to this woman, sends him to Zarephath, sends him right into enemy territory, right to Baal land. Elijah goes and he meets with her and he encounters and he asks for some water and she gives him some and then he asks for bread. And she says this, she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any food. All I have is a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a bottle. Look at me. I'm collecting two sticks so that I can make some food for myself and for my son. And then we're gonna eat the last of it and we're gonna die. Here's a woman who's down to her last meal. She will eat and inevitably die along with her son. She is destitute and she is terrified because there is not enough. There is not enough. We know that feeling. Maybe we have not been in that same experience. Maybe some of you have. Some of you have been in a moment where you said, there's not enough to pay the mortgage this week. There's not enough to pay the electrical bill. There's not enough to pay for heat and it's about to be winter. There's not enough to feed everyone this week. Maybe you've been in that moment or maybe you've just been close to those moments and had that familiar feeling of feeling pressed on every side and going, I don't think there's enough. There's enough, not enough resources to take care of all of the issues. There's not enough time to attend to all the needs. There's not enough inside of me to meet the challenges that are in front. So we can look at this woman and go, yeah, that's more like my story. I found myself on the edge so often saying, there is not enough. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And Elijah says to her, says, don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. But make a little loaf of bread for me first. <laughs> and then bring it to me. And then you can make some for, your, for yourself and your son after that. This is what Israel's God, the Lord says, the jar of flour won't decrease and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And the widow went and did exactly what Elijah said. The same way that Elijah went and did, she went and did. And so the widow and Elijah and the widow's household ate for many days. This is an outrageous ask from Elijah. And an even more outrageous promise. The woman has only two servings left and she's asked to give a portion of that to Elijah. And she's promised daily bread in return. And the woman takes the bet. She risks it. She gives. She trusts. She obeys. She walks into the wild. And she leaves the economy of this world and enters the economy of the kingdom and encounters the abundance of God and has bread for days. Like, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm not talking here about the promise of American prosperity. 
of a name it and claim it kind of gospel. What this woman models for us is a way of trust. A way of trust has been modeled for us by generations before us that if we walk into the wild with Jesus, that we will find manna. Because obedient trust thrusts us into the kingdom of God. That every time we take an obedient step of trust, where we trust and obey, we find ourselves entering more deeply and more fully into the very kingdom of God, where God's presence and God's power and God's provision and God's protection inevitably meet us there. Maybe not always in the ways that we think or want or expect, but they do meet us there in some way. There is, of course, within this story, a financial component of our discipleship. Jesus does teach us to live simply, to give generously, and to trust God's power. Just as 2 Corinthians said, God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. In the midst of our, there is never enough or there's not enough. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way, you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work, not just for us, but for others. Perhaps the, mo- the movement that God is signaling in your life right now is to give a portion of something to give a portion of your income to the church, to give a portion of your income to sponsoring, to give give a portion of your time to going on a mission trip, to giving a portion of your time to serving on a Sunday, to give a portion of your energy to prayer or to scripture reading, to give a portion of something you're giving somewhere else to someone who desperately needs you in their life, to mentoring, to meal groups, to a spouse, to a child, just to say, I'm going to give that up. I'm gonna give this portion here because I feel like this is where God is is leading me and he's asking you to trust that there'll be more than enough of God in that moment, more than enough for God has the power to provide. For we find throughout this story is that God shows his power to have no limits. This is a God whose power and whose presence shows up for Elijah in the wilderness. This is a God whose power and presence show up for Elijah and for this widow in enemy territory going into the very land of Baal. And this is a God who in the next story's power and presence shows up even beyond the grave. First Kings 17, 17 says this, after these things, the son of the widow, who was the matriarch of the household, became ill. And his sickness got steadily worse until he wasn't breathing anymore. And she said to Elijah, what's gone wrong between us, man of God? Have you come to me simply to call attention to my sin and to kill my son? Such honesty. She's back in despair. The flower didn't run out. The oil didn't run out. But her son becomes ill and dies. And she's honest, painfully honest about it. And Elijah says to her, give me your son. And she trusts and obeys once again. And Elijah cries out in verse 21, Lord, my God, please give this boy's life back to him. And the Lord listened to Elijah's voice and gave the boy back his life. And he lived. And Elijah brought the boy down from the upper room of the house and gave him back to his mother. And Elijah said, look, your son is alive. The woman and her son have now been rescued twice, once from lack and once from death. And neither by by all. They've been rescued by the God of Israel who gives rain and who gives life. If trust is at the crux of obedience, perhaps death is at the crux of our trust. Will we trust God even in death?
when the worst happens to us, when the worst happens to those that we love, when the unexpected comes into our lives, will we once again walk into the wild and trust that our God raises the dead? As the worship team comes forward today, this is my hope for us from this text, that wherever we find ourselves, Maybe you find yourself in a place right now in life where everything is going really, really well, but maybe you're sensing a holy nudging from God and you're a bit worried. If I obey, what's going to happen to all of this? If I obey, what, what does it mean for all of these things? Maybe you're in that moment where you're, you're sensing some change coming. My hope today is that trust would grow. That if you step out of the comfortable, that you would know that God will be there to meet you with his power and his presence, his protection, his provision, that he'll be there. That you'll spend time with Jesus and find the trust grow to begin to take that step of obedience, whatever it may be. Maybe you find yourself today, you've been pushed out into the wild. You entered into a situation or a season that you never saw coming, that you didn't expect. You had no choice, but you suddenly got thrust into this moment. And you're asking all these questions, will God protect, will God provide, will God be there? Where, God, oh, where are you? But maybe in this moment as we come to the table and as we sing songs that the very presence of Jesus would meet with you today and remind you that he is with you even in the wilderness of this life. Maybe you find yourself in enemy territory. You're like, I ended up in some place that I never thought I would be and I feel surrounded on every side and to know that the power and the presence of God is with you even there in that moment. If you find yourself grieving unspeakable loss, grieving and adjusting to a diagnosis that you didn't see coming, a change in your life that has just brought such fear and worry and dread, that you would know today the God that raises the dead, that our hope is in the power of God whose power and presence extend well beyond anything that we can imagine, extend into the wilderness, extend into enemy territory, and extend even beyond the grave. We have a beautiful liturgy that we um, enter into every Sunday. It is the crux of, it is the high point of our gathering to remember Jesus, to tell the story of what he's done. I actually, I feel an invitation from the Lord to move just to the center of our liturgy, to set it aside for this week in order to really receive the power of those words next week by entering it into a new way today. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to go forward, Billy, to the part where we're remembering um, that Jesus was at a table with his disciples. I feel the Lord reminding me, um, just as Jason was preaching, that when Jesus was offering himself to his disciples, when he was offering an invitation to trust him, they were going, that trust was gonna be tested in a way it never had before. He was already on his way. He was already obeying himself. He had wrestled with trust, obedience. Can I even give my life in this way, even though I know it's what I said I was gonna do, but can I trust that the Father, that the Spirit will bring me through death? 
he had already decided, yes, I will. And so in the middle of our communion liturgy, we're here at this place where Jesus has already going before us. His invitation to trust him is, is girded, it's foundational in his obedience to the Father. But it's also an invitation that comes out of a place of pure, unadulterated love. His invitation is because he's saying, I love you. Will you come with me? We have places that we are going together through death into life. So I want to take a moment, actually, before we begin, just the final part of our liturgy as we come to the table. I invite you to, to close your eyes and to pay attention to what is going on in your own soul, in your own heart. Where is there resistance to trusting Jesus? Is it fear? Is it disappointment? Is it that you're looking for clarity in some way so that you can trust? And is it possible that there's a softening somewhere in there? An openness, maybe? Could I? Is there a yes in there? That has come to you through the grace of God. That's what we're celebrating when we come to the table, that any yes that I'm giving to Jesus, any amount of trust came to me. A way was made for me. I'm not bringing that up in my own strength. Can you picture yourself in that room the night that Jesus said yes to God, to suffering, to death. On that night and at that table, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. He blessed it. He even gave thanks for what he was saying yes to. He broke the bread and then he offered it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. for your trust, to win your heart, to help you through. Eat this for the remembrance of me. And after the supper was over, he took the cup of wine and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, for mercy for love, for something greater than what you think is here. Whenever you drink this, do this for the remembrance of me. So we're gonna remember, God, your mighty acts in your beloved son, Jesus Christ, as we proclaim together the mystery of our faith. Let's say it together. Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. We are at this table remembering 
and we're also encountering Jesus. Let's sing this prayer this morning, asking the Holy Spirit to meet us here. invite the servers to come up. And I want to remind us that these are the gifts of God. They're given for the people of God, regardless of your church background or affiliation. If you, if your heart is saying yes to Jesus, these gifts are for you. So as you receive them, receive them remembering that Jesus died for you, that he loves you, that his mercy has been poured out with no obstacle to you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith, by trust, and with thanksgiving. If this is your first time here, there's a QR code that kind of gives some instructions or you can kind of look at what else is going on. Um, If you're unable to come forward, just ask someone around you to bring some elements back to you. Let's worship together. Let's receive the love, the mercy of God that builds trust and faith in him as we come to the table.
together.
and trust this morning. I wonder if we could sing this one last time before we sing our doxology. Waiting here. Waiting here for you. With our hands lifted high in praise, and it's you we adore, singing hallelujah. together now. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all God is good all the, time. all the time yes he is uh, as I was sitting there Jason listening to your sermon I'm like you I've read it a thousand times but I never grasped the part that when she was distressed the prophet said give me your flour and your oil and when she was in trouble with her son he said give me your son and as the pastor of recovery I couldn't help but think I think that's what God asked us to do when we're worried and distressed and distraught, he says, give me your worry and I'll give you peace. Amen. Is that what he does? I think that's what he does. Amen. So if, if you got something that you're struggling with, perhaps the breakthrough is to first give it to God. If you have something you're worried about, we have a prayer team up here. Come to them and say, hey, I, I'm struggling with this. I don't even know how to give it to God. And let somebody pray with you. If you're struggling financially, you don't know how to get through it, come get prayer and give it to God. Perhaps, just perhaps, that's the first step. Amen? Amen. So as I uh, already mentioned, we have prayer up here. They're waiting here for you. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I tried. Okay. <laughs> I try. <laughs> also, a reminder that we have two tables that will be in the lobby. Uh, one is uh, a global, if you're interested in going to on a mission trip. The other is if you're interested in sponsoring somebody overseas, there will be people in the lobby that's ready to uh, help you uh, with any information you need on that. So let's send you out with a blessing. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you as you give him whatever it is you're struggling with. 
And in that, you will find peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Drive safe, because we want to see you back next week. Amen. (laughs) 